Psalm 40 this evening is a wonderful passage that God has for us, and the title of my sermon is Living a Life of Full Devotion to God. Living a Life of Full Devotion to God. Anybody want that here? I do. Sure, we do. We want to live our lives of full devotion to the Lord. My hope and my prayer is to guide you into the Word uh, so that I can maybe bring out with the Lord's help some things that will be an encouragement to you. And really, I want to prepare us for our prayer meeting. I want to prepare us for a time of corporate prayer here in a little bit. Psalm 40, follow with me as I read it, beginning from the title, it is a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O Lord. Oh, my God. And then the ending is for the choir director. Let's pray. Father, we come to your authoritative word. We come to your perfect word. We come to a messianic psalm. We want to behold Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would allow us to hear the preaching of the word of God. 
that we would be reproved, rebuked, exhort, and with great patience and instruction, as the word says, because the time is coming when many do not want to endure sound doctrine. But we pray, O God, that you would prepare us for a life of continuing service and ministry and devotion to you, O living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the 1700s, a man by the name of William Law said this. It's in your outline. He said, this is Christianity. It is a life of full devotion to God. A life of full devotion to God. It is a life of heavenly wisdom in all of our actions. It's not conforming to the spirit of this world, but rather it's turning all of our worldly enjoyments into avenues of holiness and full devotion to God. Think about that. Did I forget to put that in there? Maybe I forgot to put that in there. This is true Christianity, William Law said, a life of full devotion to God. You know, it's been well said that if God is not the center of your life, then something else is. Something else is. And that's a good word for all of us because we all, as those of us who are believers in the Lord, we want God to be the center of our life. We want our lives to be a full devotion to our God. I can't, I can't think of this topic without going to my hero in the faith, Joseph Aileen. He died at the age of 34, and just before Aileen died, weary from hard work, weary from suffering, weary from imprisonment for the gospel, he died in full assurance of faith, and his final words were this, Christ is mine, and I am his by covenant. What, what, a, what a life of devotion that produces that kind of assurance. I am Christ's and he is mine and I am his all by covenant. God, my life is yours. That's the hard attitude of a believer who is devoted to God. Church family, if I could say to you tonight, even with the love and the affection that the Apostle Paul had to the Corinthians, Paul said, I am afraid. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, Paul said, I don't want your minds to be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's that's Paul's heart for the Corinthians. That's my heart for you. That's what we want. Don't be led astray by the evil one to to, to be absent, to be distant from devotion to Christ. Rather, cling to him. Be devoted to him. Romans 6.13, present yourselves to God. Fully to God. Totally to God. Be fully, completely consecrated to God. Well, guess what? Psalm 40 is a prayer. It's a hymn. It's a song of David who is writing about his devotion to God. And guess what? It's not only about David. It is also a psalm that we call a messianic psalm written ultimately 
pointing to the Lord Jesus. Now, David wrote this. We see it from the title, and he wrote it as a psalm, which meant he wanted it to be sung to music. And it was for the choir director, so it was for the congregation to be sung in the temple. Interestingly, the last part of Psalm 40 is identical to Psalm 70. In other words, it is that important that this was probably reduplicated by Psalm 70 later on in the Psalter. We'll get there. But ponder this question. We want to look into the text here in a moment. But ponder the question, are you, in the current season of your life, are you living a life of full devotion to God? Is the highest desire of your heart to honor God? Is your motivation, I want to get rewarded and I want to have the prestige, or is it, I love God, I love him. Here's what he did for me and I want to live for him. If you're living a life of devotion to God, that would mean that the glory of God, the fame of God, the praise of God will be the end goal, the purpose of our conduct. Oh, how we want that. If we're living a life of devotion to God, we need to ask this question. Do we find this highest happiness in our life in being devoted to God? Now we're works in progress, aren't we? We're not doing this all perfectly. Nobody here today has arrived. We're we're all progressively being sanctified. But, But these are good questions for us because they draw out the heart. They draw out the heart and they are helping us identify ways in our lives and places in our lives where we can grow and be fully devoted to our God. Let's look at Psalm 40. And I want to help you with that. David is going to help with that. The Spirit of God is going to help with this. When we are living a life of full devotion to God, it has the following five evidences. Psalm 40 is going to give these evidences. And you know what? And I I had an outline for my sermon, and I was all excited about it. And then I was praying, and this came to me. So I, I hope and pray that this outline is fitting. It's a little bit simpler but I think that it's faithful to the text and I think that it is faithful evidences of a man and a woman who is fully devoted to God. What does it mean? Number one, you trust. It means that you trust. And when we read verses one to four, here's the point. It's all about the triumph of trust. The triumph of trust. Verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord Maybe in the, in the Hebrew, it might be more literal. I am waiting with more waiting on the Lord. What does it mean in Hebrew to wait? It means to trust. It means to persevere. It means that I am actively seeking God. I'm pursuing God. I am waiting for the Lord. And then God hears and he answers. What a good God. Look at the five consecutive actions of God. Notice what God does to the servant of God who trusts in him. Look at verse 1. He inclined to me. He inclined to me. Meaning he gives, get this, his full attention. God inclines 
to me. Number two, he hears my cry or he listened. And then verse two, he brings me up out of the pit of destruction. And then he sets my feet upon the rock. And then he places a new song in my mouth. I mean, this is what God does when you wait on God, when you trust in God, when you're pursuing God, when you're seeking God. Keep seeking. Keep pursuing. Keep looking toward God. And God is faithful to answer. You trust in the Lord and you have God's ear. He is riveted to your cry. He gives his full attention to you. And we don't know exactly the kind of trouble that David was going through, but it could have been personal sin. It could have been adversity. It could have been family difficulties in his life. It could have been emotional distress that David was dealing with. It could have even been a literal pit, kind of like Jeremiah, thrown into a literal pit. Maybe David was going through things like that, and he's crying out to God. He's trusting in God. He's waiting on God, and God hears. And look at verse 3. This is great. Look at verse 3. It all leads to singing. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now, a new song is interesting. A new song is not a new composition. You know, I I have a new song that I wrote today. That's not the point of a new song here. It's a new song because God has done something new in the unfolding of his providential plans. In other words, we sing a new song every day because God is always newly showing his mercies every day. Or to use the words of Jeremiah in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. So when you go to bed tonight, when you wake up tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to bed tomorrow night, God's mercies are new. And because of God's unfolding of his providences in your life, you have new reasons to praise him. God, you, you have put a new song in my mouth. Think about that for a sec. Does this describe you? Do, do you trust and wait on God like this? Whatever the trial might be, whatever the miry pit might be in your life, do you call and beg and cry out for the ear of the Lord? And when he hears and when he answers, you've got a song to sing because of the new mercies that God has shown. We could go on and on, couldn't we? God's redemption in Christ and all the provisions each day, and the forgiveness that we have at the cross, and the empty tomb, and the friendships, and the church family, and health, and on and on we could go with the mercies that are new day by day by day, fresh expressions of God's grace. Christian, we have every reason to sing a new song of the mercies of God every single day. And you know, when you do that, the end of verse 3 is true. Many will see. They're going to see that. And they're going to fear God. What does it mean to fear? Look at the next parallel phrase. They will trust in the Lord. Do people 
Watch you as you trust in the Lord, and are they prompted to trust in the Lord by your example? When we live a life of full devotion to God, number one, you trust. Number two, you think. You think. Now, verse, verse four and five are are so great because what David does is he's going to talk about how blessed, verse 4, is the man who makes the Lord his trust, how he doesn't turn to the proud man, but verse 5, he's going to reflect. He's going to think. One of my concerns is that we're too busy to think. We can be so preoccupied with life that we neglect to think. Look at verse 5. This requires thinking. Verse 5. Many, O Lord, are the wonders that you have done. The word wonder in the Hebrew really means one thing, a divine miracle. Many, many, many are the divine miracles that you've done. And just survey them. Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 6, the flood. And on and on we could go through the word of God with the miracles, the divine supernatural acts of God. He works salvation for us. He brought Jesus through conception in the Virgin Mary, how amazing he is in this living of the perfect life, in the atonement on the cross, the the wonderful works of God. Many are your works. Look at verse 5. And many are your thoughts toward us. Do you think of the almighty God having many thoughts toward you? He even clarifies in verse 5, there there are so many thoughts, verse 5, if I were to declare them and speak of them, they would be too many to count. I mean, God hasn't forgotten about you. God doesn't neglect you. God's not too busy for you. He thinks about you. He thinks about you. Thoughts of care. Thoughts of love. Thoughts of intercession by the heavenly bridegroom. Thoughts of protection. Thoughts of being united with you in glory. Thoughts of tenderness towards you. As a growing, frail, feeble child of God, bought with the blood of Christ. Many are the wonders. Many are your thoughts. And then he says in verse 5, as if, as if he's pondering and thinking all of it, he breaks out into this little refrain, there is none to compare with you. Who can be compared with our God? I love the way that George Swinnick put it. When you take the incomparable God as your God, you will always be incomparably blessed. Isaiah 40, verse 18, to whom will you liken God? Isaiah 46, verse 5, to whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me? In Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who is like our God? Who can be compared with him? In a little book that I have on my desk, actually downstairs by George Swinnick, 
on the blessed and boundless God. He writes in the book how our God is so great, there is none that can be compared with him. He says, this incomparable God, get this, is ours. He's our God. And then he said, and this incomparable God cannot give you anything better than himself. And then he says, all of the excellencies of God, which are all incomparable, they are ours for our good. And then he says, the excellencies of this incomparable God are ours forever. Forever. I mean, David, it's like David is trusting in the Lord. He is thinking about the Lord, a man And a woman living a life of devotion, you think. You think. When was the last time you got lost in wonder? Because God thinks about you. Because of the many miracles that God has done. But because of the wonders and the tenderness that God has toward us and the incomparable nature of our God, when we are devoted to God, yes, we trust in him. Number two, we also think about him. Let me give you number three. A life of devotion to God means, number three, that you treasure, that you treasure. Now, verses six to eight, there's a lot here. There's a ton here. Let me see if I can just simplify these verses quite simply by showing that David is writing these verses to show that obedience to God is better than just rote sacrifice. God doesn't want you to just go through the action and offer sacrifices. He he wants your obedience. He wants your heart. He wants your full devotion. That's what he wants. So a life of devotion to God means that you treasure God. Where do we get that? Verse 6, well, sacrifice and meal offering you've not desired. My ears you've opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. But then I said, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I mean, verse 7, talk, talk about mission and life. I mean, talk about David's resolve in life. I said, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. And what does King David say? I I really delight. I want to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Now, did David do it? He did. Not perfectly, but he did. But there is one who did come. And he did do it perfectly. And these verses, interestingly enough, are quoted in Hebrews 10. You got to go there with me. You got to see the way that, I can use this word, Octor, the author, is using Psalm 40 to advance the argument in Hebrews 10. Okay, Hebrews 10 is all about comparing and contrasting the law and the many, many sacrifices that were offered year by year, but they could never make anybody perfect because they, they continued to leave you with the consciousness and the guilt of your sins. So verse four, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So verse five, now very carefully notice how 
octor begins the quote, verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, here's incarnation, and these are words that Jesus spoke, meaning Jesus knew Psalm 40. He had memorized Psalm 40. He hid Psalm 40 in his heart, and Jesus took Psalm 40, and he applied it to himself. Verse 5, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body... This is Jesus speaking to the Father, a body, Father, you've prepared for me. Talk about the incarnation. And whole burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will. This is why I've come. I want to do your will, O God. Verse 9, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, meaning the first law, the old law, the old Mosaic covenant. Jesus comes to establish the second, the, the new covenant. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What a sufficient Messiah! What a righteous life of obedience. What a man who can take Psalm 40, go back to Psalm 40, and he can say, in the scroll, it really is written of me as the Messiah. He really can say, I delight to do your will, and he did perfectly. He can actually say, my ears you have opened. I have come to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Jesus perfectly fulfilled it. And this righteousness is credited to you if you believe in Jesus Christ. You know, like like David, we can look at Psalm 40 and say, I want to live a life of devotion to God. And and if I do that, I'm going to treasure God. And we do it, but imperfectly. But Jesus came and, and he did do it perfectly. He did do it perfectly, and all of that perfection and all of that righteousness is credited to you by simple faith and by simple faith alone. So, number one, if we live a life of devotion to God, you trust in God, you think, you treasure, and now let me give you number four. If you and I are going to live a life of devotion, number four, you tell. You tell. Now, in verses 9 and 10, there's something that David does in Hebrew that you can't miss. He begins verse 9, and he ends verse 10 with the same phrase, the great congregation. There's something that David does publicly. There's something that David does in the assembly. There's something that he just can't contain within himself. It's the public, the open, the sharing, the testimony of righteousness. I have proclaimed, verse 9, glad tidings of righteousness. Literally, in the Greek translation, it's evangelized. That's the word right here. I have proclaimed the good news. That's what David does. I I won't restrain my lips. I'm not going to shut up. I can't contain it. 
I'm going to tell what God has done. Uh, I, I can't hold it in. I can't be quiet, verse 10. I've not hidden your righteousness within my heart, but I have spoken of your faithfulness. I have spoken of your salvation. I've not concealed your love from the great congregation. What's the point? Tell, 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 make it known. Okay, so, so you and I aren't living in Jerusalem at that time with the tabernacle, with David, gathering with the great congregation of Jewish worshipers then. But you and I can do this tonight. You and I can do it when we're gathering out there in the lobby, when we're meeting on Sunday after we're done with worship. We can talk and testify and proclaim and not bottle it in, but proclaim it loudly. Let me tell you what God has done. Think about how you can do that this week. Saturday, we have our church barbecue. Sunday, we're going to have an open sharing time of testimonies and thanks in the worship service. Think about how you can be sharing the the truth and the wisdom and the workings and the salvation of God with the great congregation. Why? So that thanks are given by many people to glorify God. I just love... How David says in verse 9, I will not restrain my lips. In the Hebrew, it's like, I just won't shut up. I, I just won't be quiet. I can't hold it in. When we are living a life of devotion to God, number one, you trust in God. Number two, you think about God. Number three, you treasure him and his word. Number four, you tell of his greatness. And now number five in your outline, you travail. You travail. Interestingly, verses 11 to 17 are troubles, trials, hardship, affliction, largely because of his sin. That's what we see in verse 12. My iniquities have overtaken me. David sinned and he wants the nearness of God. Do you hear that? He knows he sinned and he wants the nearness of God. He wants God to be near to him. You know, even to our dying day, we plead. We plead for the compassions of God. Verse 11, don't withhold your compassion from me. Verse 12, my iniquities have overtaken me. I'm not able to see. My iniquities are more numerous than the hairs of my head. Isn't that a a mark of sanctification where you actually see your sin and you think, man, I see more of my sin now than I did when I was converted. And that's a mark of growing in Christ. Why? Because we see the hidden crevices in our heart and the sinful motives and our sinful desires and our sinful responses. And it's like my sins are so many. We say with Paul, I'm the, I'm the chief of sinners. I mean, is anybody like me? And yet, if you look at your Bible in verse 12, It does describe David as a man of many iniquities. But think of it like this. It also describes Jesus. If this really is a messianic psalm, he didn't sin, of course not. But it describes Jesus 
with the iniquities that have overtaken him that were not his own iniquities, but our iniquities that were credited to him on the cross. Notice the language of verse 12. My iniquities have overtaken me. It's, it's like they're just crushing me. He really took our sins upon himself. David, in verse 13, begs. He begs God for deliverance. Much could be said about these verses. He's asking God to deliver him. But I want you to look at verse 16. Skip there with me. Verse 16, let all who seek the Lord rejoice and be glad in God. Let those who love your salvation say continually one of the great little phrases in all the Bible. May the Lord be magnified. I think the Apostle Paul quotes this deliberately in Philippians chapter 1. You know it because in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right before that, Philippians 1.20, Paul says, With all boldness, I want Christ to be exalted in my body. It's the exact same word. I want Christ to be made great. May God be magnified. May God be magnified in my life. That's what he wants for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. May that be our refrain as believers. Let God be magnified in life, in death, at work, in ministry, at home, in my afflictions, in my trusting in God, may God be magnified. And then verse 17, I love the way David concludes the song. Because I am afflicted and needy, he, he has a little prayer. Let the Lord think about me. There he is again. The Lord thinks about me. Let the Lord think about me. Don't, don't miss the amazing reality of that, that this awesome God thinks about you. You are my help and you are my deliverer. Do not delay, O Lord my God. Wonderful song, wonderful song, wonderful hymn. So if we live our lives of full devotion to God, Ponder with me how it will impact how we spend our time. I, I mean, if we're really devoted to God, it'll impact how we spend our time. Second, it'll impact whom we seek to please. It's very easy to be a man pleaser. I battle with that. We all do. We want to be man pleasers. But, but if we live a life of full devotion to God... No, no, no. May it be that I live for Christ. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. If we are living a life of full devotion to God, it'll impact how we conduct ourselves in life, how we dress in modesty, how we don't draw attention to ourselves, how we are modest, how we are self-controlled, living in self-denial. If we're living a life of full devotion to God, It'll impact how we speak, how we speak about our God, and how we give testimonies of our God. Telling even the boys and girls here, let me tell you some of the great things of the Lord. 
If we live a life of full devotion to God, we will meditate on Scripture. We will wait on the Lord trustingly and marvel at God's love. There's a hymn. I can't help but quote the first stanza of it. It fits so well here. It's the hymn, Rise Up, O Men of God. And that hymn goes, Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Be done. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. What a fitting word for all of us. David Brainerd maybe might fit the category of a man who wanted to live his whole life of devotion to God. He was a missionary to the Indians in the 1700s, a good friend of Jonathan Edwards. You can read his diary. I mean, it's just diary is filled with devotion to God. But one quote stands out to me. And we'll close with this. David Brainerd said, Oh, that I could spend every moment of my life for God's glory. Simple. Oh, that I could spend every moment of my life. That doesn't mean you're only in church all the time. You can do that at work. You can do it with your family. You can do it when you're having leisure time. You can do it with the saints. You can do it in private worship. You can do it in family worship. Oh, that I can spend every moment of my life to God's glory. So may Psalm 40 drive us to Christ as the one who perfectly, perfectly came from the Father. And he did live out the Father's will. And the law was in his heart. And as a good disciple, he opened his ear each day to the Father. And he obeyed and lived the righteous life perfectly as the greater David on our behalf. What a great Savior we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given Psalm 40 to us. Would you help every single one of us in this place, we who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, that we would live lives of full devotion to God. For those in this place who are not fully devoted to God, maybe there are some here who are, who are not devoted, maybe some who are not true believers, would you show them their inability to come to God on their own and show them the sufficient righteousness of Christ that is available by faith and by faith alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.